Good morning. I suppose that the word would be different or difference. What a difference a year makes. I think about this time last year, we were looking at the throes of a pandemic, but in the midst of that, our eldership was trying to enact a strategic plan that they had been working on for months. And what propelled that in part was the question, if somebody drives by our church building, what do they know about us? And the consensus conclusion was that pretty much we're invisible. They know that we're here, but they know nothing about us. And so a vision statement was drafted in that, that that Lehman Avenue wants to be a loving, growing family trying to empower our community to love God and to go to heaven and to obey Him. And so as we strove to do those things that would help to put us in a position, decisions were made, and we believe that we have made strides in that regard. What a difference a week makes. When we think back to the fact that we were waking up just a day before a week ago and seeing the carnage that is all about us. And the pictures that you see in front of you are pictures that were taken by various members of the Lehman Avenue Church. It's not all of them. It's a sample of some of those and all the work that was done. There are members of this congregation who easily work 50, 60, 70 or more hours in trying to help our community. We have reached out in ways that you've already heard, in ways that you'll hear more about to try to heal the hurts of our community. The radio, the television, the word of mouth has let people know that we're here. What a difference a day makes. As we look at today and see the opportunity that we have, what a difference tomorrow will make. As God continues to work through us to try to impact the hearts and the lives of this community. As you see those pictures, it's very easy for us to focus on the the carnage and the loss of property and knowing that there was loss of life. And it stirs our hearts of compassion. It's harder for us to see a soul, but every person who's impacted in the pictures that you see has an eternal soul that will stand before our God in the judgment someday. And our task, what God wants us to do, is to make a difference. And the bottom line in all of this is what a difference our God makes. Not a thing that has been done is because of us and who we are. The efforts that have been put forward are because God has given us the energy to do that. The people that we are helped have helped is because God has given us the resources from a great many different places and from a great many different people who have either come or have sent. God's made a great difference because of your heart and because of your love and because of your conviction that God has us in this world to be His hands, His heart, His head, His mouth, and His feet. Our God is going to do great things Even in a time of tragedy, in our Bible classes this morning, we're going to be talking about why do these things happen? And what does God do through these things? And what does God want us to be doing as all of this occurs? How does He want us to respond? What a difference God will make through us. You know, I I thought about the magnitude of this lesson to give this morning, and, and I thought... It seems to be beyond me to know exactly what it is that I should say. 
I feel like the little boy who went with his mother to the old general store back in the day when they sold everything from sling blades to souse meat. And he loved to go up and down the aisles and see everything. But there was a center attraction in that old general store that caught his attention each and every time. Right in the middle of that store was a huge, larger-than-life barrel of molasses. And there was a little two-step stepladder beside that barrel. And every time Mom went in to buy her groceries and general merchandise, he would ascend those steps and he would peer down over into the contents of that barrel, lips no doubt smacking. And so one week, as usual, the little boy made his way to that barrel of molasses, climbed the steps and looked over, leaned in, just imagining how great it would taste and how good it looked. And in his, his childish zeal, he, he fell over into that barrel of molasses and he sank to the bottom. But that boy's mama had taught him to be a, a person of prayer. And he prayed a little prayer that day that's my prayer today. Oh, Lord, let my mouth be equal to this opportunity. We do not, sorry. For we we do not lose heart. For though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For light momentary affliction works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things that are seen. But the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if this earthly house of our tent is torn down, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on that heavenly dwelling, if so be that we not be found naked. And in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but rather that we should be further clothed, that death should be followed up of life. And He who has prepared this very thing is God, who has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we are of good courage, knowing that while we are present in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through chapter 5 and verse 7. Did you walk through the NPR? Did you see all that good food that's out there? Those of us that have been working have been eating that, and we hope we've been using that as energy, but we're in that time of year, aren't we? It seems to me that it starts with that Halloween candy stash, and it can go all the way down to that Thanksgiving feast. Before you know it, we're sliding down a mountain of rich, fattening foods all the way to New Year's Day. And for a lot of us, maybe the problem is not that we're not exercising, But our taste buds and our sweet tooth is outdoing our elliptical and our circuit training. We know we should be doing yoga and yogurt, but instead we find ourselves doing internet streaming and ice cream. And it makes a difference, doesn't it? How do we move ourselves to do what we need to do to get such things as our weight under control? I don't think for a lot of us that self-discipline is the issue. The issue is motivation. And self-discipline does no good if we're not motivated. And yet there are some things that can get in the way of our motivation, isn't there? Failure, frustration, and impatience. But I want to ask you this morning, what is your motivation for living the Christian life? believe the beautiful letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth is one that can be so helpful for us 
When we understand that this is Paul's loving second letter that he writes to a church that has repented of the things, there were so many things in their lives that weren't as God wanted them to be. And yet they'd had a change of heart that had led to a change of life because of the penitence within them. And so Paul writes a more intimate letter and he writes to them wanting them to be spiritually strong and to endure He understood that they faced afflictions of a variety of kinds, and he deals with that in the letter. The Apostle Paul said that he and his co-workers knew all about what was involved in facing opposition and adversity, and they sought to overcome, and they realized that the Corinthians had partnered with them in that adversity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7. They needed a way to face the challenges of life, the difficult things that they saw. How could they meet them? And beat them. They needed motivation. You know, it was because of this that Paul and his co-workers were motivated. That they wanted to share with everybody that they could. That there's a new and a better way. This new covenant that he talks about in chapter 3. And Paul says, we're ministers. We're servants of this. We're willing to go through whatever we need to in order to get this message out. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And it's in the midst of this that the Apostle Paul shows us in the text that we just looked at. In the text that was read to us by Tom a moment ago. In Second Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter Chapter 5, there are three things it seems to me that Paul is emphasizing. He is emphasizing a contrast, a Christ, and a confidence. The contrast is just one broad one, and that is the physical versus the spiritual. It's the contrast that you and I are trying to navigate every day. We are in this world, but we're not to be of this world. We face the physical things, and yet we're trying to transcend that with a spiritual life. And you'll find that Paul is developing that contrast in a variety of ways. He he does so by referring to the outer person and the inner person, the affliction and the glory. There's the temporary and there's the eternal There's the house that's made with hands, and there's the house that's made without hands. There's the old and the new, there's the good and the bad, and you see that contrast. But the contrast, bottom line, is this. There is what life is like with Christ in it, and there's life without Christ. And so, in the midst of this, he shows us our position to Christ. That's in the text, mostly, that Tom read to us. In verse 10 through 21, we're going to be judged by Christ, verse 10. We are compelled by the love of Christ, verse 14. We are made a new creature in Christ, verse 17. We are reconciled through Christ, verse 18. And we are representatives for Christ, verse 20. That helps us know who we are. As we try to, to work through the contrast... Seeing our position to Christ helps us feel like we can do it. And that gets us down to the confidence. That's our motivation. What motivates you to live the Christian life? How is Paul trying to help us? That's an easy thing, perhaps, when days are going good. But what spurs us on? What gives us confidence? When we've been through adversity, and we've been through tragedy, and we've been through trials... Paul says we do not lose heart. I believe that a person can endure just about anything as long as they have hope. I believe we can lose anything and anyone so long as there is something to hope for. 
What I want you to see that Paul does for us is he gives us motivation to hold on, to keep going, to keep heart. And what is the motivation that can help us in our most difficult days, in the lowest parts of the valley through which we will travel, what will keep us moving toward the goal of heaven? Will you notice with me four things that he mentions? And he gives us this confidence with this statement, Therefore, we do not lose confidence. Number one, because our light affliction is but for a moment. He shares that with us in chapter 4 and verse 17. And we come to understand that traumas and difficulties come in different sizes and different packages. As we consider what we go through, we realize we're not the first to go through just about anything that's ever happened in history. But we begin to say, you know, I don't think that other people know what I'm going through. It's, it's difficult. The Apostle Paul's been reviewing what they have gone through earlier in the chapter. He says that we find ourselves in a position where we are perplexed. We find ourselves persecuted and we find ourselves struck down, verse 8 and verse 9. And he says not only that, we find ourselves always being delivered over to death for the sake of Jesus Christ in verse 11. And, And so suffice it to say, the Apostle Paul is telling us that what we're going through is not worse than what others have gone through. And how do we rise up to that? How do we face this and have confidence in these times? We need to realize that our light affliction is but for a moment. Now, wait a minute. Let's put that in the context of what's happening in our city right now. I believe it is now the current statistic that a thousand homes have been damaged or destroyed. Seventeen people have lost their lives. I've not seen a report on how many went to the hospital. We've seen the footage. We've seen the carnage. We've gone and we've seen lives that have been displaced. So many people not today, even now, in their homes. So many yet without electricity. That's a crisis. And it's in a time like this that we begin to ask ourselves some questions about that. How is it that we would say that the difficult times of life are light? Well, first of all, it's light because of how long it lasts. He says it's momentary. Now, we need to understand what momentary means. Momentary may mean a lifetime. It may mean for decades that we're going through this. For the rest of our lives that we may have to go through this. But we need to understand that at its longest, time is so short. I'm beginning to understand that more. You know, when I was younger, people used to say to me, man, time flies faster every year that you live. The older you get, the faster time goes. I scoffed at the idea several years ago, but now it seems like that the the seasons roll around faster and faster, briefer in time between the birthdays, and the holidays come more hurriedly. We are racing through this life and we don't need to give up hope because what we're going through is momentary. It's just for a moment. You think about time, you realize it's passing so fastly, but it's also light, not only because of how long it lasts, it's light because of what it produces. You know, this is kind of uh, baffling for our minds to consider. The Apostle Paul says that these momentary light afflictions work for us Glory. And that word glory is in contrast with the affliction. 
When I think about what he says about it, he says it's not just glory. It is a weight or a load of glory. You ever seen those Hollywood movies where they find some buried treasure and the main character tries to scoop up all the gold or the treasure that they can and it's too heavy for them? The Apostle Paul is using that imagery. He is saying the weight of the glory is so grand compared to the things that we go through. And as we look at what's to come, there's a weight that's so heavy that it's hard for us to even understand how great it is, but not only that, it's an eternal weight of glory. Time cannot tarnish it, can't taint it, or otherwise cause it to be ill-affected. When we think about the glory that's to come, it's eternal. Ten million times, ten million years after we begin to experience it, it'll be as great as it was when it started. In fact, it's a mockery to use increments of measurements like times and years and decades and millennia. When we think about how great... That glory is, and it's far beyond all comparison. You take your biggest expectation, you take your dreamiest vacation, and your biggest remuneration, and it's nothing compared to the glory that is to come. We're at the gift-giving time of year. You think about the best gift that you hope to get this year, the best gift you hope to ever get, and it won't be worthy of the trash heap of glory. When we think about what God has in store We don't lose hope. We keep our confidence because the afflictions that we go through are comparatively light. They're momentary. And glory is so much greater. But then second, we do not lose hope because the things which are seen are temporary. How are you going to make it? It depends on what you're looking at. And the only way you're going to make it is that if you're able to look at the things that are not seen. And don't let that confuse you. The Apostle Paul is making a contrast here between the seen and the unseen. And we've got to be able to see those things that are are beyond this life and not focus so much on the things that are only temporary in their nature. And we'll look at the Apostle Paul and he'll tell us that what we have to do is not just make a passing glance at it. We have got to focus longingly on the goal that's set out before us. Paul is telling us that the things that we see are temporary. You ever focus intently on a goal? I remember the week that I met Kathy. We were at Faulkner University and it's somewhat of a small university. I think I remember the first time I saw her was when we were all the student body together was together and the dean of students was going over the rules and I saw her and I kept looking at her. And then we were in the gymnasium and we were going through the group mixers and I kept looking at her. I remember that Wednesday night. We didn't have a Bible class. We had a singing. And there was going to be an ice cream social afterwards. And she was sitting to my left as I was sitting in the back and looking toward the front. And I kept looking over there at her. I kept looking because I was afraid if I stopped looking, she wouldn't be there. I was focused on what I saw. Now, I learned that there was a much greater person than a beautiful woman that I I first saw. What is your focus on? Is your focus on the seen or is it on the unseen? The Apostle Paul is telling us that if we're going to make it through the difficult moments of our lives, we've got to place our focus on the things that are to be seen with the eye of faith. Because the things that are in this life, and I love the prayer that was prayed by David this morning, Help us not to hold too tightly to those things because they're transient. They pass on. They can't last. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. We are always confident. We do not lose hope. 
Third, because we have a building of God. We move on into chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 6. And the Apostle Paul is alluding to something that he first introduced to us in chapter 4 and verse 14. And that's the resurrection. And even in chapter 5, verse 1, you have this continuing idea that, that, that is given to us. And that is that we have a, a building, an, an, an external building. It's going to be torn down. Even if this is taken away, we have an eternal dwelling place. We have a new and a better dwelling place than right here. But the Apostle Paul gets us to focus for a moment on our bodies. In fact, there's at least there's several images here in the context that he refers to the body. It's the outer man. It's the tent or the dwelling in verse 1. It's the clothing in verse 3. It's the body in verse 6 and verse 8. And he is telling us that that's only here for a little while. You know, I think about the beautiful picture that's painted for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I appreciate that it's true that as we're in this body, it gets older and it begins to run down. This year I've dealt with some lower back problems and some IT band issues. And even though it's better now, I know it's a preview of coming attractions. And the longer we live, we realize that there are changes that are taking place in this body. What goes along with aging, like it or not, it's inevitable. It's wrinkles and gray hair and aching joints and losing hair and gaining hair. And all of that's taking place as this body is reaching its final destination. But the Apostle Paul says, even as time is moving us closer to our demise and things not going as well and the valleys get steeper in those regards, that even through those moments we can groan. Not only can we face the fact that this body is coming to an end, that God has something better, more eternal for us, but we look forward to it. We groan being burdened now, but we look for that which is better, which is to come. I believe Paul is building on, and he's not really talking about strictly in this chapter the fact that we're moving closer to death, but that is that we might lose our body in affliction and suffering for the cause of Christ. That even if we lose our body for the sake of Christ, we're going to be faithful to Him. We're not going to lose our motivation because we're longing for something better. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know, brethren, that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither does the perishable Inherit the imperishable. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised and we will all be changed. And this perishable have been put on imperishable. And this corruptible or this mortal shall I put on immortal. And when this perishable shall I put on imperishable. And when this corruptible shall I put on incorruptible. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Take this body. God's got a better one for me. Take my home. God's got an eternal dwelling place for me. And so I'm motivated not to lose heart, even in those difficult times. Why do I not lose heart? The the culminating picture in this beautiful picture that Paul gives us is in chapter 5 and verse 7. For we walk by faith. We aren't operating by the seen we're operating by the unseen we are seeing life through spiritual eyes and to me it's an amazing thing that occurs when you walk by faith look at what the apostle paul says in the rest of this chapter when you walk by faith you can always be confident he says that in verse 7 or verse 8 wherefore we are always confident 
This is not a, a sinful pride. This is not an arrogance. This is a confidence that we know that no matter what happens, we are on our way to be with our God forever. No matter what we must endure in this life, there's something better for us. We can live like the Apostle Paul. And what he's saying is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if I'm to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. For I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. The Apostle Paul says for me, the Christian life is a win-win situation. If I lose my life, I gain Christ. If I'm in this life, then I'm to serve Christ as long as I live. You can always be confident even in the reverses of life, no matter what you struggle with and suffer through. You can keep your motivation if you walk by sight, because in walking by sight, you're always confident. And you also have a new way of living. He says we walk by faith and not by sight. Let me take you back to that Corinthian church. Walk through the first letter, and you you will find that they struggled in the old man, the old person, with just about every sin problem there is. They wrestle with the very things that you and I struggle with today. And the Apostle Paul is showing them that there's a transformation that's possible. It's a walk that changes how we look at everything in this life. I don't know who it was that first told me this, but I've used this in premarital counseling before. Sometimes, uh, and I suppose maybe it was our premarital counseling that we received, but uh, I believe that it was the counselor that said, Ask me how much money I have. That's an awkward thing. You don't do that. I said, okay, how much money do you have? He said, none. Well, I knew that wasn't right, but I, I let him go ahead. He said, ask me how many houses I have. I said, I don't know. He goes, I have none. How many cars? I, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for the punchline now. He says, you see, I do have money. I do have a house. I do have cars. But really they're not mine. They're his. And he gives them to me. And he allows me to use those resources. That's a man who had learned to walk by faith and not by sight. It's a new way of living. It changes your lifestyle. And that's what God wants us to do. Is to see the resources that he puts into our hands. As something that he gives us to transfer to others. But we also see that we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. When we walk by faith and not by sight, that's our aim. That's strange in a world that preaches self-indulgence, self-gratification. But we are focusing on how we can help to do things better in this life for Him. How we can live in a way that honors and glorifies Him. We also realize that we walk by faith It transforms us because we know that we live in view of the judgment. Verse 10. We are living for a day that most of the world believes is not going to occur. But it alters the way that we live our life each and every day. And we also, because we walk by faith, we share the message of salvation with others. In verse 11 through verse 20, we find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with Paul and those co-workers who are ambassadors, representatives for Christ. We are shining Christ through our lives each and every day. It's what motivates us. We're not doing it perfectly. We need to do it better. We want to. We find ourselves as his vessels, back in chapter 4, earthen, fragile pottery. So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. 
You know, one of the outros that we have on the TV program that we use a lot at the end of it is, we're not a perfect people. We don't have it figured out. But we know Him who does. Don't mistake in what I'm saying this morning as a message that says, Christians have got it all figured out and those who have not yet named Christ are the ones who are all wrestling and struggling. We're in this wrestling match together. But we're motivated. What keeps us from losing heart are the things that we looked at this morning. Our afflictions, we recognize, are light compared to the glory and they're momentary. They're just for a moment. We look at our lives and we understand that we look at the things which are not seen. We know that we have a building of God that's far greater than anything on this earth. And we walk by faith. I wish we had the ability, and I hope maybe we'll find the forum for various members of the Lehman Avenue congregation. By the way, it's more than 171 now. It's getting closer to 200 folks who came and spent physical time present at this building or out in the neighborhoods trying to help and serve. And I imagine those that weren't here, those that could not be here. But if we could have folks to get up and say, these are the conversations I had with people this week. A lot of us got up close and personal with death in a way and to an extent that many of us have never. We got to hear people's stories. We got to hear some profoundly sad stories of people who were near death and destruction. Even from people who had suffered directly from death and destruction. How many people have we talked to who have suffered the partial or total loss of property of all their material things, folks who had their complete dwellings destroyed. Moments like this serve to sharpen our focus. They cause us to ask, how is my motivation? As I look at my life, am I I preparing myself for what's next? It's a reminder that we're only here for a little time That we are born, we live, we die, and then we live somewhere eternally. The purpose not only of 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, but the purpose of all of Scripture is to prepare us for that day. I want to say on behalf of this congregation and on behalf of this eldership, if you are visiting with us from our community... We make a pledge to you that we are going to do all that we can to help you through this physical tragedy that you're going through. I know a lot of folks are folding up and they're just about done. We've made a commitment not to do that. It's going to require time. It's going to require our energy. It's going to require our resources. But they're God's. They're not ours. We want to do whatever we can. But we realize that far greater even than the physical things is the fact that each and every one of us have a never-dying soul. And God wants us prepared so that we can live with Him forever. Maybe somebody who's been contemplating that decision, who realizes that you need to come to Him. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You realize that it means a life of change and you want to do all that you can to act in repentance, that you'll be ready to be baptized to have your sins washed away. It would be our honor, whether in this assembly or privately, 
to help you to do that. And it could be that you're a child of God and, and maybe this has caused you to put life in sharper focus and maybe you feel like that you've not been putting Christ and His work first and you feel like there are changes that need to be made in your life. The thing I want to leave you with is I've heard other people say it. I know this family, this family, better than I knew it this time last week. And I knew that you were loving, but I really, really know it. I've experienced it. Not just directly, more often indirectly, as I saw you sharing it with each other and with the community. So let me say to you, if you're a Christian here who's struggling and you need to respond, you'll never find a more loving group of people anywhere who will throw their arms around you and will encourage you. They'll tell you, hey, I'll pray for you, and they will. And they'll say that I'll be here to help you, and they will. Maybe you need that. Maybe the things of your life have got you struggling, and you need to respond. Maybe there's sin in your life, and you want to get that out of the way and confess and repent. Whatever your need may be, if this is your invitation, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?